Aaron Patton is a metaphysical master in a millennial age. A wonderful, wonderful conversation about how metaphysics are, are used uh, in, in her day-to-day -day life with her family, with her partner, with in the corporate world. I discovered that I'm more metaphysical than I, than I thought. Of course, meta meaning going up and beyond. Physics is the physical world and uh, you know, the difference between metaphysics and spirituality uh, is a, she's a very, very impressive, very smart woman with a, with a wonder, wonderful story from Houston's third ward all the way up to, you know, Harvard, uh, just a, an uplifting, incredible woman with a, with a great story. Uh, enjoy the conversation. Um, metaphysics, how, how do you use it? How can it better your life? Take time to do things, to, to smell the roses a bit. It's a, a great conversation. Erin Patton, uh, check her out. Uh, it's a great conversation. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Joey Pins. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? As I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family, in their passion, in their careers, and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. Have to figure out? No, it wasn't. I'm familiar with your background. It's just not the usual. You know how you usually click, zoom, that, you know, whenever it's something different, you always are like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so nice to meet you. Are you in Houston? I am. I'm based in Houston full time. Houston in August. Oh, that's something. Yeah, you know, when you grow up here, you get used to it. But you know what? I moved back here a couple of years ago. And when I first moved back, I was about to die. Like, I was like, how do people live here? <laughs> I, I've been there in July. I'm in the Northeast. You're you're familiar, of course, where you're at school. And I'm yeah. in New Haven. And uh, yeah, the humidity there is some... We have humidity here, but not quite like Houston. No, no. It, it is something. Well, so nice to meet you, and uh, I feel like I Me I feel too. like I know you so much already. So I, I'm going to coldly admit I had to look up metaphysics. Um, I, I remember learning about it That's good. <laughs> in, in That's college, good. but I forgot. So please tell me about your road to metaphysics. I would love to, you know, that is what I'm about. I consider myself to be a metaphysical master in a millennial age. So. Um, my story will really sort of unlock what all of that means because metaphysics at its core, let's just break down the etymology of the word because we all are you know, smart people here. We're intelligent beings. And meta is the prefix. And we all are familiar with meta, like metaverses, you know, meta coins, metamorphoses. Meta just simply is the Greek word for to go above or beyond, to go be above or beyond. And then physics at its core just represents the physical world, the physical plane, the physical aspects of our being, the three-dimensional mm -hmm. world. And so when you put meta and physics together, it really just invites us to go above or beyond the three-dimensional plane that we live in. So it really calls on us to access our divinity, to access our multi-dimensionalism of being the gods and goddesses that we are as human beings. And so it's really cool because people um, know that we have some special gift as human beings, yet really don't understand how to tap in to source, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, a minute-to-minute -minute basis. It's not just something that we do on Sunday mornings, mm. pretty much, or Fridays at Shabbat. You know, it's sometime, it's a, something, it's a divine access that we have all the time. And that's really all that metaphysics is. And I've spent the past... 
I would say, four to five years really on a journey, a metaphysical journey to find what it is that I understand, live, and embody. What I also like to say, I understand, not just understand, I don't just overstand, but I understand all that there is about the metaphysical path, which is why I call myself a master. Like I have a master's in business, a master's in public policy, I have a master's in metaphysics. And um, and I live it and I live it and I breathe it. And the reason why I say I'm a metaphysical master in millennial age is because of my life, my life journey. And my life journey, you know, it started here in Houston. I'm originally from Houston. I grew up in Third War, which is a historically black neighborhood, actually where George Floyd is from. And um, it's uh, it's um, I, I wouldn't call it necessarily a have and a have nots place, but it certainly it has it runs the scope in terms of of class, of, of, of wealth, of education in one small neighborhood. And so, um, you know, Beyonce is also from Third Ward. Felicia Allen, Rashad Allen, you know, um, from the Cosby show, um, they're all from Third Ward as well. So Third Ward is the home of, you know, so many notables, kind of like a Bed-Stuy Brooklyn, you know? And so um, it really has a creative class, if you will, of Black folks. And that's how I grew up. And my parents were both doctors. My dad was um, a surgeon. My mom was a dentist. And they had grown up in Third Ward, too. Yeah, so we um, we had a, a legacy, a, a generational legacy of, of, I would say, of rags to somewhat mm. riches, if you will, for Black folks, and um, and that was really my my story as well. I really embodied that. And um, at a young age, you know, my parents had worked so hard, had accomplished so much, and I, I they had me at a later time. You know, my dad really was his own being too, and got caught up with some with some stuff at his office, prescription fraud situations that landed him in federal prison, and that happened at six years old. And a couple months before that, my sister, who you know was going to college here in Houston, was openly gay, was living with her girlfriend, and they got into an altercation, and she got stabbed to death, and so she was murdered. So here, here I am. You know, this Cosby-like child, I'm in beauty pageants, I'm taking ice skating lessons and gymnastics lessons, and my parents are really trying to paint this picture. Now I have a dad in jail and a, and a sibling that's murdered. And what do you think that looks like for a child growing up in the 90s? A black child? You know, oh, your dad's a drug dealer and you're probably, your, your siblings are involved in gangs. So here I am with this... Um, almost like muted protection so that my peers around me, like where I went to school, I'm the only black kid. I'm in these gifted and talented programs. I'm taking all, I'm in all these extracurricular things where kids are, you know, above and beyond. And at that time, for some reason in our society, kids that came from the inner city wore like the scarlet letter. You know what I'm saying? Like you were just, oh, poor poor kid from the inner city, dad in jail. Da, da, da. And I didn't want that to be my narrative. So I didn't even talk about it. My mom told me to lie about where my dad was. And pretty much since that day, I haven't even, we haven't even mentioned my sister's name. And it, um, actually her birthday was this past Sunday. So um, it was, you know, in my mind, like the beginning of me learning how to pretend, how to wear masks, how to exist in this matrix um, for protection and not understanding that, you know, 
it is through our experiences that give us access to our divinity, that give us access to our greatness. But because first we fear the judgment of others, which is really the judgment of ourselves against ourselves, that we don't even share who we are with other people. And so that's where I learned that behavior. And so you can imagine a lifetime of trauma, you know, compounded. I had other experiences in my adulthood. Um, Of course, through it all, I'm going to shine because I'm, you know, I want to make sure I please everyone around me. So I'm getting nice accolades. I'm living in New York City. I'm going to Harvard for business school and policy school. I'm doing all the things you would expect a young girl with two doctors as parents and, you know, good education to do, not understanding the trauma that I endured from a very young age through my life you know, in hiding who I really was and what I really experienced in terms of grieving of a mother who's in a mental institution, of a brother who's off in the Navy, of a father who has to come back to integrated society and is dealing with his own, you know, identity, you know, so we don't get into the complexities of that as (laughs) we don't do that, you know, until we get to an age where we're like, I'm about to go crazy. And I've never talked to anybody about anything that's bothered me in my life. You know, maybe that's a start. And so when that started for me, it was after I graduated from Harvard because I had done all these things, gotten all these accolades, traveled all over the world, and um, it landed in Detroit after Harvard on a fellowship to work at the Kresge Foundation, which was founded by the Kmart family. So it was an incredible opportunity in a growing city. And I didn't know anybody there. I had no family there. I had very few friends. And then on top of that, I partnered with a guy who was incredibly toxic, but as everything, there's a gift and a curse to every relationship as soon as I got there. So it forced me to turn to God. I had nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. You know, so I was just like, um, you know, praying, fasting, you know, learning how to eat better, you know, and it started very simply with that going to church because I had never, I I wasn't going to church. I grew up Catholic. We didn't really, we went to church, but there was really no um, relationship with God because it went through your priest, which is hmm. what it is. But it's just, I really started to develop a relationship with God, a relationship with self that I had ne- never experienced before because of the isolation, the toxicity, the, you know, the, the loss of sense of identity. I had no idea who I was at that point. I had done all these things. Who the fuck is Aaron? <laughs> like I went to Harvard, all these things, but who am I in this? And so, um, so yeah, so that was when the journey started and it really just came with questioning, with digging deeply into myself, with, um, with eventually losing my father. You know, my father passed away of, um, you know, Uh, illness, several illnesses, heart illness, kidney illness, a lot of things that really plague Black communities, um, which we learn in metaphysics has to do with emotion. The kidneys, the liver are all organs tied to our emotion, our inability to release um, trauma. And um, and he passed away. And then very soon after that, my mom um, went into a hospital because she was close to committing suicide. So that's what brought me back to Houston from Detroit. After I had launched a business, I had launched a business. I was doing that. I was, you know, on my way to, you know, success. (laughs) And um, and little did I know that that spiritual path that I was walking wasn't for the business. It was to prepare me to what was happening in my family and in my personal life. And so that put a hard stop 
on my business and all that I was doing. And so that was um, in 2018. And so by 2019, I was back in Houston. I was pregnant with my son. Hello. <laughs> and um, Harlow. Uh-huh. <laughs> Harlow. And that's when I started to really um, claim the metaphysical psychology and the work that I do in metaphysics. Very interesting. Do you think as a child living in Houston's, you know, in, in the third war, ward and, and, and what's happened to your father and your family, what's all around you, do you think perhaps you were introduced into metaphysics earlier and didn't realize it? Yes. Oh, I definitely realized it. And I actually uh, mentioned it today to a, a family friend. So, you know, interestingly enough, these times in prisons, you know, can be opportunities for, for some, you know, souls as we saw with people like Malcolm X and, you know, Nelson Mandela, you know, I wouldn't say my father took it to that, that height, but he certainly came through it, a transformed individual. Hmm. And as he was there, he became a poet and he write loads of poems. I actually have a book of poems to me. Um, He would write me poems all the time. He would write me prayers. Um, And when he came and he would send me books, so when he came back, actually at 12 years old is when he returned. I was between 12 and 13. He would talk to me um, about some of the stuff that he learned while he was away and gave me books. I remember one of them specifically is called Pawns in the Game, and it's about the New World Order, which, of course, is much more on the conspiracy side. However, it's a lot tied to this idea of something greater than the structure that we know of and live and breathe today. And so, yes, I was absolutely introduced to the chaos theory, to, um, to you know, New World Order, to lots of these things as a middle schooler, had no idea what it meant, but it struck a chord with me. So by the time, um, you know, I was reintroduced to a lot of these concepts, you know, right before my father was passing away, he and I bonded on some of these things right before he transitioned. And so it was almost like um, a, rem- a remembering, and that's all. Um, this path is, is a remembering. And because of metaphysics, I have to break down the word even of remember because the word member, you know, can relate to like the male Mm. penis or members of the body. So when you think about members, it's really tied to parts of the body. And then to re, you know, it's always like to to repeat, to put Mm. it together. So when you remember, you're putting together parts of your body, parts of your being. And so um, in many ways, that's what was happening to me after my father passed away. I was remembering who I truly was. Very interesting. And with what you know Mm -hmm. now about metaphysics, how would that have helped through some of that trauma when you were a youth? Ooh, ooh, that's what I vision for my Mm -hmm. son and for children today. Because um, what that requires is just an overflowing of love energy and a removal of fear. And that is the difference between metaphysics and the path that I led, is I led the path of fear. My mom feared the government. She feared police. She feared, you know, the, the shame of you know, having her husband away and having to raise a child as a single mother, you know, it was a it was a mindset of fear and, and protection and, and fight or flight. Whereas as a metaphysician, you understand the abundance of the universe. You understand the goodness of God and of source. You understand the goodness of the people around you. Even if they don't appear to be good, it will turn around. And so um, and so that is the, the, the difference in this approach today versus what I experienced as a child. Because you take those, those what we consider uh, bad situations and you transmute them like the alchemist. 
You transmute that which is base metal into that which is gold. You transmute that which is shitty into that which is fertilizer and flowering and blooming and, and gardens and feeds generations. Interesting. So what, mm-hmm. what con- forgive me of some of these questions, but it's just, it's just, I love it. Come <laughs> it on seems so it. abstract. So what are some concrete notions that some of the youth can, can use in metaphysics to help them? Yeah. You know, it's, I would say the concrete things are the things that sound weirdest, but like simply meditation, mm-hmm. you know, getting out in nature, kids today versus what we would do likely is play outside, climb mm-hmm. trees, pick flowers, get grounded in the earth, take off your shoes, run bare feet. That's something that I do now that I find gives me, like I literally earlier this week was lying in the blanket, looking up at the trees. When's the last time any of us have done that? Not since we were children, you know? And so those are healing experiences to, to, to become one with nature because you start to look at the trees and you start to see shapes and you start to see you in that which is around you. And to, and those are healing things that children can do besides um, what we, and especially what I was um, programmed to do was like play sports or dance or compete or to win. Like there was always the outlet of energy was always for a game. It was never for fulfillment. And so these are the differences between what children can do now. Um, you know, of course, I understand the sports, you know, all these things. We can't be, have to be realistic, but understand the little things that we can um, provide for children in terms of being still, you got in trouble. How about let's spend 15 minutes sitting outside in the grass, you know, and if the bugs eat you up, let them eat you, you know, <laughs> You probably needed those bites anyway. So, I mean, those are things concretely that we don't see as metaphysical, but it's exactly what it is because every everything is living around us. We just choose to engage it or not. Very interesting. You know, since I, I, I learned about yeah. you, I, I've been thinking, you know, wanting to talk to you. And something happened recently, which I'm sure happens to everybody, where I was in, a, I was in an airport and uh, I just happened, I just kind of glanced over and I noticed somebody was looking at me. And they weren't staring. It wasn't, you know, they weren't oogling. They were just, and it, the weight of the stare kind of pulled me there. And I've, the opposite has happened where I'm just kind of glancing at somebody and they turn and look at me. And so I'm thinking to myself, yes. is this, this can't be explained in science. Is this metaphysical? Yes, it's telepathy. Interesting. Telepathy or, or I mean, and it, and it, it could be a, any, any of our higher senses, but we communicate with our thoughts. And, and this is what I teach in my um, in my metaphysical um, accelerator is, is the power of our thoughts and our thoughts as frequency waves, because that's been measured. It's been proven that our thoughts are waves, just like microwaves, sound waves that we listen to in music. Our thoughts carry that same energy and that they like the ways we see on our screen today. Yeah. <laughs> like those are our, those can be measured. Our thoughts can be measured in, in the same type of way. And so sometimes when you're looking at someone, you may unconsciously be sending them a signal and they turn around and catch your signal. And you're like, wow. Hey dude, you know, like, and didn't even realize it, but sometimes, you know, our subconscious is probably 80% more active than our, our conscious mind. And so sometimes we don't know what connection we could have had with that soul or that person in another life and another time in our lives. And we, we just remember it in that moment. Very interesting. What's the mm-hmm. difference between metaphysics and spirituality? 
That's a great question because I use them interchangeably. I use them interchangeably for contextual sake. However, if we were to break them down, I would say spirituality is more has more connotations with um, with rituals, with um, kind of like religion. And so spirituality is a, a little bit of a departure from the religion, but the metaphysics truly is a science. And spirituality doesn't necessarily have that scientific mm-hmm. connotation because people accept it as is. Spirituality, in my view, is like a Buddhism practice or... Um, or Taoism, or um, or you know sacred geometry, whereas metaphysics really is you know the science, the 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 facts, the data, and it for me in my experience and my articulation and application, and so that's really the difference between me. But I kind of move interchangeably between spirituality and metaphysics. I, I hear often people mm-hmm. describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. Could they also be mm-hmm. inferring some metaphysics in that? Absolutely. But they just don't realize. Absolutely. It. They don't even realize it because we people don't really use the, the term mm-hmm. often, and that's also what's cool about being a metaphysical master. I can introduce this new terminology such that it it becomes an even more of a departure from the spirituality. If people don't want to say I'm spiritual, well, you know what? I understand that I'm a multidimensional mm-hmm. being, so that's metaphysics. And. Uh, Common misconceptions on your webpage, it's a great webpage. You say metaphysics is a bit of woo-hoo or is your, your term or woo-woo. I mean, what, what, are, mis- yeah, what yeah. are the common misconceptions? I, I had to go back and look it up because I wasn't under, I, I didn't quite understand. I talked to somebody today. I said, hey, you know what metaphysics is? He goes, I don't remember what it is. I said, well, I'm going to talk to yeah. a specialist today. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So the woo-woo with the spirituality, think like, um, you're going to New Orleans and you meet like a voodoo mm. priestess or you're in the Caribbean or something and you see one of the chicken rituals like the, the hoodoom um, priestess or you're traveling in Brazil and you see some of the, the, the vestiges of Yoruba and some of these spiritual practices. You know, that is the woo woo. Yeah. And, you know, it can also be done with... Um, you know, and I'm thinking of it from an African perspective because that's my experience. However, I, I do understand in some Indian traditions, like I've been to some Indian weddings, like how they have all the temples out and all the, and sometimes I do the chanting and the bells and things like that. That can be woo-woo. Like if you're sitting in a corporate boardroom and I start lighting, flapping flowers and chanting with bells, that would be a little bit off-putting. However, I could talk to you about your auric field and how it extends five miles from your heart center if you're activating it at your fullest potential. And I'm breaking it down in a way that's more you know, logical and scientific, yet it still connects back to what the bells and the, and the candles and the incense are doing in the spiritual sense. Fascinating. Yeah, because I'm just explaining what the spirit is in scientific terms. And that's where there's an overlap with spirituality. Now, how about... I mean, I, I realize karma is a term everybody throws around. It's usually proceeded after death, but I mean, you certainly carry some of that weight forward. Is that integrated into metaphysics yeah. as well? So I don't talk about karma in metaphysics. I don't at all. Actually, it's part of more of the the um, 
the Hindi mm. practice that I'm not as um, in tune with. And however, I am familiar with karma because I do, you know, you Sadhguru is one of my master teachers I consider. And and how he describes karma is it's it's something we carry in our soul always, yet it's our response to our circumstances that determine our karma, not the circumstances themselves. And so often people look at karma as, you know, I get, like I have my crystals here, like say, the wind blows and the crystal hits me in my face. And I'm just like, ah, oh, like, ah, oh, that was my, that was your karma. No, my reaction to getting hit in the face, if I choose to be still, if I choose to curse it out, that's my karma. Because my reaction to it determines what will happen next, you know? And so um, that's how we stay in our karma or are we cycle out is our reaction to our circumstances. Incredible. I have friends that have been to India and I, I remember reading about Mother Teresa and, you know, uh, she would try to help some of the, you know, the downtrodden there. And, you know, of course their, their belief was that person deserved to be there because of karma, because of past lives. Yeah. So they deserve to be, yeah. don't help them. Whereas Mother Teresa has different yeah. belief based system and she would try it. So there was a collision obviously of ideals there, but it's fascinating to yeah. me, uh, how others view it. Uh, now, well, the thing is because should please. I can I respond to that? Well, the thing is, I love that conversation because I was thinking the same. My dad used to do that to me. I used to always hand money to um, homeless people and things like that, and he would have the same perspective. They were nasty, energetic people in a way. And um, the thing about it is how Jesus was and how Mother Teresa are. Their frequency, their energetic field, force field is so strong that when they come in contact with lower energies, they are not deterred. However, if your energetic force field is not strong enough, you can become susceptible to those lower frequencies and they can bring you down and they can affect you. But that's why, you know, when Jesus would talk about a healing, he would always tell people, don't tell anybody. Don't tell me, don't share anybody what I've done with you because just the mere negative frequency thought that someone gives to you can mess up your healing. Wow. That's the difference is that if, yeah, if you're not ascended master level, then yeah, you can't, you can't hang out in those energies. However, if you know how to protect your energy, people can be blessed by you. People can touch you and be healed depending on your level of frequency. So that's why it's really important. That's why I talk about it metaphysically. I explain the power of love. It's not just kissing your mate at night. The power of love is with the energy you give to people because that increases your frequency and your ability to heal yourself and heal others and be, be a, a whole individual. I mean, there are so many studies that show that when people are compassionate and they're shared with love, I, love they just heal quicker I, you know the the, the anti-placebo mm -hmm. effect where i know people have talked about where yes they thought they were just the power of they, mind they thought they had one drug but they actually and they had all these symptoms and when they were told they had the placebo all of a sudden it just goes away you know they convinced yep. themselves that they were you know in harm's way or they were had these ill effects and and aaron how is that measured how is that energy measured from people you know, I don't know the instruments. However, this is a very good question because I need to. So um, there are, because of the way our, our bodies are set up, how you would measure, how you would measure frequency, sound frequencies from whales, you know, the sonograms, like these, these, these machines, like even the, the lie detector test 
it's capturing our thought frequencies. So these these things can be measured in labs um, just as easily as and I and the only reason why I don't believe this research has um, penetrated mainstream is because people don't necessarily see the value. They don't see the connection between when Oprah tells you to write down your gratitude every day. They don't understand that when you're being grateful, that increases your heart energy. And that's what I'm teaching is by expressing the compassion, expressing the gratitude, you are increasing your energy, though you can't just measure it with maybe that can be part of my technology to develop tools to measure your love capacity, you know, but I mean, but these are things that are just happening in, in labs, you know, you know, university labs, happiness studies, I'm sure you see some of these happiness studies and stuff, but people are more concerned about cancer or Corona or all these fear laden things to invest their attention, their energy, their studies, their drugs too. And they're not focused on the aspects of self and of the beings that is actually healing and, and can completely eradicate some of these industries, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's, it, unfortunately, we're in a time where, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, and. Uh... Yeah, they want clickbait and they want quick things and they want somebody to hate and somebody to point the finger at. When I remember yes. re, within the last couple of years, pre-pandemic, there was a the happiest nation study, and I think it was like a northern European country. I forget which one, but and they measured happiness somehow. I, I should look into that, but uh, we, United yeah. States did not do well uh, in that. <laughs> 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 you, know, uh, you say you you did a lot of time in Europe. My father is Italian. You know, I spent a lot of time there as as a youth. And you know, Southern Italy. You know, nobody works. Uh, you know, I, I love them all. It's a, a wonderful place. The food is wonderful. People are friendly, but. Uh, you know, not a lot of production gets done, but people are happy yeah. and they're skinny and yeah. they're walking around and they're talking to each other yeah. and they're holding hands and, and yeah. guys are embracing each other. And, uh, you know, it's just yeah. very, very different. Uh, uh, but I love it, but it's just, it doesn't happen here. At all. And that's part of what I teach too in meta business. And I talked about that in one of my sessions with my clients because I was saying to them, like, what they were like, oh, so why don't you think that businesses have adopted this? And I was like, well, what do you think? You know, your boss would say if you told him that I can't work today because, you know, I don't want to bring my bad energy to the space. Like I'm not, it's not just a sick day. I'm not doing well. You know, my mother's sick. My child, my child is driving me crazy. I can't show up today, you know, like, and so really part of the spiritual metaphysical teaching is that you do nothing and you accomplish Mm -hmm. everything. You know, even in scripture, you know, Jesus talks about how in the fields, the flowers, they're beautiful. They have the rose petals. If God dresses his fields like this, you don't think he'll dress you Mm -hmm. in the finest clothes. You know, so there are so many aspects of our spiritual walk that we are in misalignment with by working every day, by competing with each other, by, you know, being overly masculine or overly feminine or, you know, trying to not be ourselves and connect with our source. And so that's why it's so beautiful in places like Southern Italy while we vacation there and we want to cry when we have to leave because this is how life should be. Everything. Food, the water, the poop, uh, the wine. The, oh my goodness! So we kind of mentioned how metaphys- metaphysics plays with with children. How can it help uh, adults? How, how you mentioned in the workplace would be difficult. You mentioned one scenario, but how else can adults adopt this and learn? 
Yes. So very simple techniques. And one of them um, I love to call my early morning ritual. And it's it's for those that are willing to do a little work. Like metaphysics, this path requires discipline. And that is something, too, that as Americans, especially, we've not been... um, encouraged to have in many ways. We want things fast. We want things now. We've been we've been taught to please, be pleased. And so discipline is, um, is a requirement for this path. And so I, I definitely believe that just spending 15 minutes with self a day in the morning before you talk to anybody will change your life. Until you find that person that you can wake up to and it's just like all good, you know what I'm saying? Like, and everybody, everybody's great and happy. Getting up by yourself, and I did this for years, journaling, meditating, making a smoothie, going for a walk, <laughs> like just get, taking time to yourself. And, and I still do this today. It really helps to, like I said, increase that energy, that love power, because the more you show love to yourself, the more you have from your cup to mm. give. And people always talk about fill your cup first, put on your air mask first before you put on the other person's air mask. You know, like, but we don't actively practice this because most of us don't discipline ourselves enough to do it. Glad you mentioned discipline. That's the theme of the podcast and everything. I feel okay. like everything kind of yes. comes to that. So waking up in the morning, yes. don't turn that cell phone on, darn it. Keep it away and laptop yes. down, no noise, and just yes. 15 minutes yes. of, of meditation. Yes. Or, or whatever your meditation mm. is, you know, whatever your meditation sit ups. is. And so sit ups, it can be active. It can be push ups. Like, um, my boyfriend, Brandon, he loves to go to the gym. Like I've been guided also to more active meditation because I have a very strong mind. A lot of us who are intellectuals have very strong minds and that's why, you know, yoga exists. Um, because yoga is, um, at its core, you move the body to still the mind. Imagine, think about, I don't know if you've ever taken a yoga class, but most of the time your yoga class is 50 minutes and then you lie in your meditative position at the end, Shavasana, for five minutes. So you move your body for 50 minutes for five minutes of connection to God. Like that's all you need. It's really, but the more you're able to move your body, release all those thoughts, those energies, and you can have a clear channel. You don't need that much time. It's just, it's like light. It is it is light. So it travels fast. Yeah. It's not like sitting at a lecture in school for an hour and a half. No, when you're talking to a guy, you get the beam, you get the information and then you go. Fascinating. So 15 minutes alone, with your thoughts, whatever it may be, if whether it's sit-ups, it's alone. How about for those who don't have a spiritual connection, a, a you know, an atheist? How, how, do, how do you kind of deal with that? Yeah, that's a great question because there is still a knowing of your mm-hmm. divinity that has to be baseline for people to adopt this path. Because to understand that your being comes from a source is pretty much universal law. I mean, literally, like you can't have a cell phone, you can't have a light bulb, you can't have a refrigerator, you can't have anything without being connected to a source. And so how does anything have, how are we animated without a source? 
whether it's a god or a deity or angel or something, it can be argued. However, you can't argue, in my view, the law of having a source of, of being. As soon as that breath is taken, then where do you go? You know, back to source. And so, um, so that is really at for me. I would have a challenge talking to someone who didn't understand mm-hmm. that. I would I would need to actually talk to that person to understand how to articulate that to them. I know for some atheists, like the 12-step program, they can't get by. I don't know what it is, one or two or three or whatever, you know, a higher being. And generally, uh, you know, I have some experience in it with friends, but they just, yeah, related, like you say, to an alternate source, to some kind of even mm-hmm. uh, a parental love or, or you know, a friendship mm-hmm. love or something like that. I can see that yeah, too. That's still some uh, still source. Mm-hmm. So source. 15 minutes in the beginning of the day, be with yourself keep your thoughts together. Then right when that's over, the American public will get on their phone and start getting into the hustle and bustle, right? They'll start, yes. they'll start drinking a lot of coffee and and, uh, and get on their cell phone and start replying to emails and check the Instagram. So what, what do they do next to stay metaphysically connected? You don't like that. Do less, <laughs> do less of that. Do less of that. Do less of it. Do less. Yeah. Do well, certainly that's the, the path you would see, right? That's yeah. the path. And find ways to do less. Mm. Find mm. ways to say that's no. Good. Find ways to set boundaries. Even if that means just cold turkey cut off. If you got to give the cold shoulder. Because sometimes we don't have the breath or the energy to engage. Sometimes it just deserves a cold shoulder. Whatever one must do to protect your energy. I know earlier on in my path, I learned this phrase, you guard your heart for the jewels of your soul. You guard your mind for the jewels of your soul. Wow. You guard your mind for the jewels of your soul. And so you have to be your own guardian, your own keeper of your peace. If you don't guard your peace, who's going to guard it? It is very true. And that's something too that I'm learning and I've learned is you start to guard your mind with your thoughts. You start by guarding your thoughts. So say you get that email, because I know a lot of a lot of this mm-hmm. is unavoidance. You can't avoid it. You get that email, you gotta get this, you gotta get this paycheck at the end of the week. How do I respond? Sometimes you can't give the cold shoulder. Let me give it an hour break. Let me give it a day break if you have to. So I can respond with clarity and not have a heart attack over email because I've been there. (laughs) And so that is where we need to go in this path is understanding how to guard our mind, our, our emotions, our reactions. And sometimes, especially if it can warrant it, it has to get a cold turkey. No. Yeah. Discipline. I, you know, I, I've run a business since since the '90s, and I, I would have these peer groups. And I noticed that when I travel and get away from the business, I work so much more on it. I'm able to do things. I, the laptop is shut. I'm I'm walking. I'm playing golf. I'm in the airport. I'm talking, and I just ideas come, and I start writing them down. And but when you're stuck in the middle of it, and this laptop is open, and like you say, you get that email, and it needs it deserves immediate action. And you're starting to bring things around. There has to be a point where you just shut the laptop, close the phone and, you know, sit down with yourself, take a walk, even bring a notebook. I sometimes I record things on my phone when I have ideas, but it's easier said than done. 
easier said. Everything about this path is easier said than done. Everything. Everything. And that's what makes it so fun. That's what makes the journey fun is because you're like, it was that's all I needed to do. Hmm. And the thing is, we've been conditioned to control. We want to control everything, everyone around us. And what this path calls us to do is allow, let go and let God, let go and let God. What One of my teachers, her name is Abraham Hicks. I love to listen to her. But one thing she always says is, why not allow the universes, the forces that create universes work for you? We try to jump into action. We try to do everything fast, you know what I mean? Get it all done. And then why not allow the forces that create worlds work for you? They're waiting, waiting. And that is what's required of the metaphysical path is that belief in the greater forces. You know, everyone loves Star Wars. That is based on us. Those stories are based on us. We are the superheroes. We are the Darth Vaders. We are the Luke Skywalkers. We carry the power. Our lightsabers are our crystals. You know, like I just pulled it out. These are our lightsabers. You know, so we, that's our story. Why not harness that energy? But that energy can only be harnessed in stillness when you're golfing, when you're kiki and drinking wine and you're not paying attention, that's when the forces can move around you because you're not resisting them. You're not thinking so hard about what you want to see happen. And that's the attachment that we talk about a lot in the spiritual journey is the law of detachment, the law of allowing, because we have so many desires. We want to be wealthy. We want to have our kids in college. We want to be happily married. We want to impress our boss. We desire all these things and we work so hard at it as opposed to just loving ourselves through it. Like, and I understand it so well because that was me. Like I'm like the consummate, I'll say it again. I was the consummate people pleaser. I just wanted everyone around me to be happy at my expense. So then I'm not making anybody happy if I'm not happy. So that's what the focus has to be about. It's like it, Then it becomes really easy to shut down my laptop when someone sends me a like, nasty email. I'm like, ooh, not for my happiness, <laughs> you know, you know. And so then and then you realize that something magical ends up happening. Like, you know, that person can leave the company or, you know, you end up getting switched to a different team. You know, it's always something that happens in that contrast when you learn how to release and let go of it. Wow. You're, 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 mm-hmm. pra- it seems to me you're practicing, you're teaching. You don't try so hard, just kind of let it happen. Yes. Yes. The control is the key. You have to release control. And that's very hard for us because control comes from a place of fear. It comes from a place of lack. And so when you are afraid of losing something, you want to hold on to it. You want to hold on to your job. You, you know, you got it. You got to pay the bills. You got to, you know what I'm saying? So you want to hold on to your family. You want to hold on to all these things because it, it's your it's your identity, your created identity. When in reality, none of these things are you. Even your children, which I had to learn the hard way. A whole different conversation. Maybe we have time. I know we have a long time, but even your children are not yours to control. And that was my experience, which is how I became this way. I was very much in a controlled environment. 
and um, they are their own beings. And we are just taught to control, especially mothers, control everything in the household, in our jobs, with our children, how they grow up, how people talk, you know, how people eat, you know, and it's really, um, it's really a madness. It becomes, it becomes a disease. And I've seen it happen. It's fascinating when it comes to children. I, I'm officially uh, empty nest in about two weeks. My youngest goes off to university. Okay. And my oldest is at my oldest is at Cal State. And my youngest is going to Maryland, and so I, okay. yeah, so I would be, you know, without children, and you and you bring that up, and I put a little tear in my eyes. Like, yeah, you have to, you have to let go. You have to let go. That's not who. That's not who you were created to be. You were just meant to teach them a little something on their path. That's very interesting. How metaphysics plays mm-hmm. in parenthood. Yes, it's powerful. It's almost contrary to how we've been taught or programmed by TV and movies because we really haven't been taught how to parent because our parents and our grandparents were very different than how we are. Very. And I wish they would have taught us, (laughs) but we've been programmed by TV, by music, by movies, how to be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know. I know this is not politically correct these days, but I mean, I watched Bill Cosby. I watched, uh, you know, I watched uh, Happy Days. I, I, you know, I watched these kinds of things as a kid. I mean, my father, an Italian immigrant, got his first pair of like real shoes when he was 12 years old. You know, he worked in a farm. Yeah. I mean, he, he did not relate to, uh, we didn't really clash at all, but it's just very different. Now, my children are, you know, have very different things than, than what I had. I'm yeah. not saying one's worse or better. It's just different. And, is it's different. very different. You have to you have to parent differently, you know. And uh, yeah, you know, as I see my youngest daughter go off to school like that, you know, I, uh, you know, I we just went on a little trip. We and, and I said, uh, you know, Olivia, you know, sometimes I'm playing golf, and you know, I bring everything, and you know, it's like 150 yards, and it's a bad lie, and I got a little wind, elevated green. All the science is telling me eight iron, eight iron, but my gut is telling me seven iron. You know, so I, I go okay. my gut and I use that. And I said, you're going to be in school and you're going to be around some friends or, or what you think is friends. They start, you might, they might persuade you in a certain way. Just listen to what your gut says and make a decision there. Ooh, ooh, let's talk about the so gut. I made that analogy. Let's the talk gut. about Yes. Yeah, so the gut is our brain. The gut is our body's mm. brain. And the gut, so in, in, even in metaphysics, it has such a powerful, um, resonance because it even at one point in my understanding when we were more advanced beings used to be like a frontal spine spinal cord and and on top of that our intestines they're like a mile long something crazy you know what i'm saying so there's so many synapses there's so many frequencies there's so much happening in our gut it connects to so many of our organs and our organs are called organs because they are the 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 music that keeps the church the body the temple running you know, and so that's what's so beautiful about the organs. These are the true, you know, the sounds of the church, of the temple, are our kidneys, our spleen, our stomach, our liver, our intestines. Our our gut speaks to us because that's our emotions. And that's actually what I'm learning now. I'm studying with this master teacher at the Body Brain, Body and Brain Institute to understand how to connect my mind to my body. Because for so long, um, I've been emotionally numb. How I told you, I didn't talk about my circumstance. I didn't tell people what I was going through. I just wanted to succeed. So my emotions didn't matter. I was almost mute, almost. 
in many ways when it came to how I felt about things. It's I'm, I'm so grateful to have the partner I have now because he asks me questions. He asks me how I feel because I never was used to even telling people that. I just went kind of went with the flow, people pleaser. And um, and so so listening to your gut is your other mind. This is your analytical mind. This is your program mind. This is your matrix mind. This is your three-dimensional mind. Your gut is your metaphysical mind, your emotional mind. This is connected to your soul, your gut. And so that's why the, like, even now it's very popular in science and medicine, gut health, right. probiotics, all these things. But the gut is the real brain. Interesting. And how, it, chakra, how is that different? Yeah. So the chakra system, so the gut is connected to the sacral chakra and also close to the root chakra. So those are the lower chakras. And those lower chakras are connected to our feelings of security, of safety, of love, of emotional stability. All that is being corrupted and disrupted in society are connected to our root chakras. And when those are not sound, when those are imbalanced, then you see overly sexual activity or imbalanced sexual activity. You see fear-driven behavior. You see violence. You see anger because those areas of our body are imbalanced. That's why you see so many women who have problems giving birth because that ovarial region, um, the the uh, uterine region, is also like near our gut. It's in our sacral and our um, root. So many women having children have um, difficulty having children. Men with um, lots of um, penal issues, rectal issues. We hear that so much now because those energy centers, our chakras are essentially energy centers that connect our spiritual being to our physical being in many ways. It, it grounds us spiritually in these bodies. And um, and so there are seven, seven main chakra regions, the lower two, which I'm talking about, the sacral and the root are connected to our gut, are connected to our intestines. And so, you know, when those chakras are imbalanced, you see a lot of um, of what we experience today, medically, emotionally, in terms of instability and safety, um, you know, the, the sexual energy and all of that. It's really powerful. My goodness. And we have mm-hmm. to say something, we're talking about the gut. I mean, of course, America has a big problem with obesity and their diet. I mean, just so does metaphysics involve what we take in our body as well? Absolutely. So oftentimes our eating is connected to the the endorphins that it releases in our brains. And like I said before, you know, the sacral region, the gut, those areas are connected to our ability to love, to feel emotion, to feel safe. Even though our heart is a different kind of love, the, the sacral is more connected to the physical aspect of it. And so the the um, the eating is almost like a, a replacement for that feeling you would get from having deep wow. relationships, loving relationships with oneself, loving relationships with others. Food then becomes that love affair. Wow. So it's actually compensating, you yeah. feel, for, for an inequity. For yeah. For lives and balances. Yeah, for a lack. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. So we talked about metaphysics with, with, with children, with parenting. How about with your partner? Yeah, that's the most amazing part. Because oftentimes people find themselves in imbalanced relationships because we are 
seeking, I would, for lack of better words, the wrong mm. things in our partners. We're seeking financial stability. We're seeking educational attainment. We're seeking ethnic background. Mm. I mean, there's so many things that we, we, we saw for when we're looking for partners, BMI, height, weight, you know what I'm saying? It could go so deep. Um, hair length, hair color. So, <laughs> so yes. superficial. Yeah. We're focused on the physical aspects of ourselves. We focus on the physical aspects of ourselves. So when you start focusing on the meta physical aspects of individuals you partner with, then you seek true connection. Then you experience a true connection because we already know the physical is temporal. Even in this life, who you are physically at age 27 is not who you will be 57 years old. In your life experiences, in your job, you're going to experience so many different things. So if I'm connecting with you based on who you are physically, then the likelihood of our success down the line is pretty low because that's going to change maybe even immediately. But And so um, when you connect with someone for who they are, how they treat you, their values, the intangible, the metaphysical mm. aspects, the intangible aspects that's all it is it's the non-physical aspects it doesn't even have to be the spiritual let's not even go there do you have the same values do you respect people in the same way you know do you do you have um do you want to work together with me to create this vision like you would in a company i talk about that a lot in my meta business what really fails folks is not having or co-sharing a vision which is also something I learned too that you should have with your children. If you guys want to work together for them to accomplish a goal, there needs to be a shared vision. And oftentimes people lack that because they don't know themselves. So like me, they could be like me. They would just please that person to keep them there. Not even know that person doesn't even know how they feel. For fear of being lonely. So for fear of being lonely, fear of being abandoned, fear of being judged by no one but yourself, for being single, being in your 30s, being a single mom. That could have easily been a fear of mine, and it was. And you have to get over that because that is nothing else but you judging you. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the biggest mm -hmm. obstacle or hurdle there is that our immediate first impression is physical and it's not metaphysical. It takes a while to kind of uncover values and, and direction, life direction. And it could take a long time to figure that out in your partner, perhaps while you're trying to find it in yourself. Or you could skip all that and do exactly what you told your daughter and listen to your mm. gut. Because all of our analytical minds, yes, we can, we can pro and con up and down all day with someone's values. However, your gut is, you're going to always get an instinct of like, Ooh, this person's for me or Ooh, that was a red flag. But oftentimes we ignore those signals. My goodness. Yeah. I've, you know, I have a lot of friends and I would hear things from them like, oh, he'll change once we move in together. Or, you know, once we have a baby, then he'll change. You know, please, you know, reconsider that. And, you know, and there, is it hopeful thinking? Is it wishful thinking? Is it, you know, whatever it may be, but, you know. It's manipulation. Why would you want someone to change? 
if you're not focusing on changing yourself. And that is essentially the relationships that we have with others and with our family members and with people around us. Is a, it's the control, what we were talking about in the beginning, the control, the manipulation of the world around you. When in reality, the only being you have control of in this dimension is yourself. Fascinating. If you want something in that person to change, you likely need to change that something in yourself first. Very interesting. And if you see that that person doesn't have the ability, then you can make a conscious decision to leave or stay. Very good. Now, that's a partner. You mm -hmm. can certainly separate from a partner, but what happens with family where you necessarily can't mm -hmm. separate? Uh, you know, and you have to kind of live with what baggage they have and don't want to let go. How does meta metaphysics help there? Well, I don't agree oh. with that baseline thinking. I believe that family is just simply a genetic tie. There's no obligation to anyone in this realm. I believe that we have somehow been taught that based off ancient principles of family, but the families we have today, we're so mixed, we're so different, we're coming from different places and thinking. Um, it's not as tribal as it once was, where there was an actual protection aspect of the family. Right now, your family can sometimes be your worst enemies. Because you have a genetic tie to them does not warrant any duty or obligation, in my view. Yeah, that's very healthy. Now, what if it's somebody you can't separate from, like a coworker, whose who's ideas yeah. clash and bring negative energy? Yes. Yeah. And so that requires very sound, a strong mindset. And that's when I talk about guard your mind. And this is the one that takes the most work. Because, it, and it's what I was alluding to before, when you're able to shift your mindset about that person, see what you would like to see in them, kind of, in my view, focus on the positive, <laughs> focus on the positive, which I know can sometimes be toxic in some circles. However, in this scenario, I've just seen it work. So that's why I, I recommend it. But you focus on those positive aspects and either there will be a shift in that person's behavior or that person will leave your atmosphere, will leave your, your frequency or leave your vicinity. I don't even know how to describe it, um, but I've just seen it happen so many times where you, you focus on, I'm going to try to work with this person and this person's office ends up getting moved mm. down the hall, mm. across the way. You never see that person again. Like that happened to me. I had really this, a, a competition with this uh with this woman in my workplace and um and it was kind of I felt like kind of created about with our managers and it was kind of felt between us and it was really awkward and uncomfortable for me but I tried to stay firm in who I was I tried to show up with a smile I would do whatever affirmations I needed to do to affirm my mind about who that person was who I was you know and we end up not even being in the same vicinity within a few months time. However, in those days leading up, that was the work I had to do with myself because <laughs> it's my response to her. That's the problem. She's not the problem. It's my reaction to her. My emotional disruption and dis what she triggers in me is what's the problem. So I needed to focus on that. And as soon as I got that in alignment, she disappeared. I actually never really haven't talked to her since right? then, to be honest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what do you do with, with negative energy, whether it's at the coffee shop or, you know, it, it inadvertently bump into people. And like you said, mm -hmm. uh, the way I think this is what you said is that 
the way they rub off on you have discipline not let negatively affect you. Is that, is that what you're saying? Pretty much. You have to receive it. You have to receive it for what it is. And interesting enough, it's like a martial art. It's like Tai Chi. So Tai Chi is a martial art. It's the one of the few, if not the only martial art where the um, the practitioner takes an open stance. Most martial arts, mar- most martial arts are defending. Most of our behavior is defensive to energy, even. But what I'm offering here is an openness, a receiving of energy. So you actually receive her or him, and and show your show up in your best self when they're present. Maybe choose not to argue with them like you would once argue with them. Allow just listen maybe more. Um, so I'm choosing a different way of engaging with the energy such that it almost disrupts it. And so when you send it back, you're sending back their negative energy and your positive energy. So in many ways, it shifts the, the energy of the whole atmosphere. It's fascinating. We were, just brings up this incident. We were, I was with my daughters um, last week and we're in a parking lot and my daughter opened up the door and bumped the car a little bit next next to us. So the, the person came out, he happened to be in the car and he was just full of what happened? What the, you know, what the F's going on? What'd you do? What'd you do? And I took off my sunglasses. And I said, oh, let's just take a look. And do you see anything wrong? And he goes, yeah, but you know, it could have been this. I said, sir, is it, is everything okay? Is there, did, did you get jarred at all? You know, I just tried to, when you kind of kill them with happiness, they don't know what to do. I mean, they're just ready for it. Yeah. It really, it's almost like crazy. Like, I don't know. They kind of like, <laughs> have a great day. I, if there's anything wrong, you know, here's my information. I don't see anything, but please have a great day. You know, we, we, we had bought donuts, went to this donut shop. Would you like a donut? You know, you try to, you, you try to just be as friendly as you can, but some people just want yeah. to fight. And I said, look, I'm not here for a fight. You know, let's just move on. So Sometimes that can be the case and sometimes there's a place to fight. And I can't tell anyone when Mm. that time is, um, but there is certainly a time for everything. And in that moment in front of your daughter, no, not a time. But I'm I'm telling you, maybe she might have been there. The energy could have been different. It could have been a different outcome. So that's that's something, too, that I'm learning on this path is there is there's a time for everything. There's a time for everything. And that's something I didn't understand in the beginning, because especially growing up in the Christianity, we're always kind of told to turn the other cheek and submit and be subservient, which there is a time for that. Yet Jesus was a warrior, too. He came up in the temple, busting up tables, telling the tax collectors about themselves, fighting you know, the devil in Revelations. So Jesus was a warrior, too. And so we have to understand that there's a time for everything. Very interesting. All the yeah, you spent some time in New York, so you could see where that, you know, I, I, my parents met in Queens, I have cousins in the Bronx, and certainly there's just yeah. a different mentality there when, you know, when things get a little heated, uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. just different things happen there, uh, and again, handling that situation. So how do you bring metaphysics into the corporate world? Yes. So this is the beauty of what I'm doing is that it's completely pioneering. And essentially, I have a seven-week accelerator curriculum that I call the Soulful Accelerator that empowers employees, 
senior leaders with their own awareness, self-awareness, such that, that such that they can move to and through conflicts and organizational, what I call organizational disease with peace and balance. And so it's really what I'm just kind of turning the consultants model on their head. And, you know, you would generally find management consultants or corporate consultants coming in for months long engagement, taking all this data, doing all these surveys. And really what I've been told, they steal people's watches to tell them Mm. the time. (laughs) And what I'm doing is I'm not trying to steal your ideas and tell you what to do. I'm empowering you with your own identity of self such that you can innovate with your own ideas. You can collaborate better with your teams. You can be more productive in the workplace because you're not spending so much time fighting, fighting each other, bickering with each other, competing with each other for titles because you have a strong sense of self and knowing. And that's what's created out of the seven week accelerator program. The soulful accelerator is I teach people how we are designed divinely using the metaphysics I was talking to you about, the auric field, talking about our organs, talking about some such things as the pineal gland, which is a really small organ in the inside of the, it's the cave in our brain, inside of our brain that connects us to the cosmos, that gives us these bright ideas. And by meditating, we activate that organ more and more. So that's why meditation is important. So by talking through these very basic concepts, people are able to get the roots to understand why the discipline, why these practices are important. And then you will start to see not only a shift in their mindset, a shift in their behaviors, a shift in their engagement, and a shift in how the company operates. And that is truly what why and how I envision metaphysics to work in corporate environments. Fascinating. And one of your videos, you talk about the importance of your vision and mission statement and how to kind of revise it in a metaphysical sense. Can you elaborate? Yes. Yes. So the vision and the mission starts with your values. And that's something that I spent a lot of time refining for myself. And I understand that we don't spend enough time thinking about for ourselves. Um, we, we kind of take these baseline, um, you know, golden rules, do unto others as you do unto yourself, but you don't do unto yourself well. So how are you going to do unto others? Well, you know, so you really have to take into consideration what do you truly value? So for me, I value love, but love in the Greek word sense, philia, there's seven types of love in Greek. And um, everyone understands the romantic love, that's eros. But philia love, philia is self-love. It's associated with a wholeness, with the centeredness, with the balance of self. And that's one of my first values for who I am and for, my, for who my company will be and my company is. And so this um, is something that guides my principles. So for my vision, you know, my vision in many ways is to help others inspire, cultivate that love for self as well. So then you're able to set a vision and cast a vision using your own personal values. And when you set that vision, it needs to be communicated. It needs to be shared. It needs to be understood, overstood, and understood by all of the employees so that you guys can work together towards that vision. Remember, like in scripture, where two or more are gathered, there I shall be. You know, so imagine you with two people, you got divine intervention. Now I have 20,000 people 
We all share the same vision. We want to create products that transform dimensions. And we all share that vision. We all share that power. This is what essentially like the communists were trying to do and the Russians were trying to do, but they were doing it in the power dominating way. I want these people to be my minions versus I want these people to celebrate and celebrate. I want to celebrate their diversity in helping us reach this incredibly lofty goal. And that is the power of, of casting a vision that can really transform the paradigm. Fascinating. So that that can really be incorporated to one's personal as well, have a personal vision and mission. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're, for me, they're both aligned. <laughs> my work is my life. My life is my work. So my values are aligned with my company. Very interesting. And do you have close friends or uh, when you teach somebody metaphysics in a non-corporate sense, like to, to have values and to have mission and vision statements? We do inherently. We mostly do inherently. We mostly share them. We don't always articulate mm. them. However, maybe I should, you know, and I do, I guess I do encourage my friends a lot in this way, but by articulating your values, actually, I'm, I'm going to put this up in my house since I've just moved. I'm about to put my values up in my house, <laughs> but articulating them, making them clear, the clarity breeds confidence. Mm. Confidence allows better communication and better communication inspires better collaboration. Certainly so. How wise. So that's how it starts. That's the train. Very interesting. You know, I've, even creating this podcast, you know, when I started bringing everything together, I made a mission and vision statement. One of the first things I did, because you, you really, you can't put the cart before the horse. If you don't have those, how else can you do anything? How else can you move forward? Uh, if you ever ask a question, well, does it align with our mission and vision? That's, you know, that's, I guess that's the same way. Do I have one in my life? I guess it's changing now because I'm empty nesting shortly. Yeah. And that's okay. It can change every day. And that's what I talk to people about too. You can change your mind. Who says that you have to be the same person today as you were an hour ago or you were uh, uh, yesterday? We are constantly evolving beings. And we, some of us get our consciousness quickly. Well, some of us may take a few years, <laughs> you know, or a lifetime or multiple lifetimes. So, you know, we have to understand and extend ourselves that grace because we are, for some reason, feel like we need to be in a box. We need to always stay in this box when we are, we are like water, like how Bruce Lee said. That's right. Mm -hmm. So met metaphysics, we need to step back, stop taking so much control. What else? Just human um, kind, Americans, just our, our peers. Human, human kind. Yes, but this is all, all me community. too. Um, I, I see that um, the boundaries too is a mm. big one that I, that I teach in my corporate spaces, the boundaries, which I'm learning how to execute myself, um, especially as it relates to family, to friends, people who have not been adding the value to my life that I believe is necessary for me to thrive. And that to me is, I believe, the place where we falter the most is this 
dogmatic sense of obligation and duty to our family and our friends and our job and these people who don't care about us or who don't treat us as they do. When in reality, if we chose to release those energies, release those individuals, release those experiences that don't serve us, we can invite in better ones, ones that actually do serve us, that take us to the level that we've always dreamt of being, but we're so holding on to this other vision that we can't make space for the newer, beautiful, more beautiful one. And that's that's where I'm going through now is this setting healthy boundaries, saying no, not allowing you know the energies that no longer serve me to take hold of me and hold me back. And I believe that's a great um, lesson for folks in corporate and in personal life, um, especially as we navigate this work from home space. Like I'm working from home. I've been working from home now for a few years before. There was no home. It was just work. My work from home until I had to really start to take care of my mom, which was about mid-2019. I started working from home in 2017 and into 2017. For two years, I was up at 7, 8 o'clock. I wouldn't be stopped working until 2 in the morning. And that's typical for entrepreneurs and people. Like, I mean, you may take a lunch break. You may have a few meetings through the day. You go to a social event. You come back, you work more. So I was giving my energy, so much of my energy to my my venture, to other people, thinking that it was going to support, help my venture in some way, when in reality, I was just splitting my energy. I was splitting my focus. I was splitting my attention. And it was draining me. And then I had, I didn't have what was necessary to really focus on my goal because I'm splitting my energy so many different places. And that's what a lot of us do. A lot of us, especially moms, I can only imagine working from, have to get up in the morning, get the kids ready. You got to go to work, got to come home, got to go grocery shopping, got to do the laundry, got to take the kids to soccer, got to do this. And that splitting of energy until that mother can get the help and support she needs, she's really going to have to wake up early and do those rituals and, and build that, that storehouse. She's really going to have to put, that was my path. I was waking up at five in the morning you know, my son didn't wake up before 7.30, but I had to wake up so early just to put in the work for me, go to my yoga class or, you know, do whatever I needed to do to um, get my energy together so I can be a whole person for others. Very interesting. And so those boundaries are really, really important. I know when I started my business back in the 90s, I, you know, I was working, like you say, 14, 16 hour days and you know, my daughter's born all of a sudden, you know, I'm 350 pounds and uh, I'm pre-diabetic and uh, yeah, you know, I've been diagnosed with, I think yeah, yeah. And then, you know, so I had this kind of come to Jesus moment, you know, I'm not going to see my daughter, you know, that was all I needed, you know? So then, you know, I, I, I ate half of what I was eating and, you know, I, I rolled the elliptical every day for seven months, lost a hundred pounds. I did five triathlons, but you know, I, I, because that happened, because I valued my daughter so much, I kind of had this big shift and had to work on myself. I, was that metaphysical? I, I wonder right now. Absolutely. What was your catalyst was your child. And I knew, and for many people it is, and for me, my child was too, because that's when I started my 
very intentionally my metaphysical psychology classes because I saw him, mm. I saw myself, and I was like, he's not going to follow in these footsteps. I saw my parents, how they were ending up, how I was sleeping in my childhood bedroom. He was in my crib, literally my baby crib, sleeping next to me. And I'm taking care of him and my mom. And I was like, this is not going to be his path. That's exactly what you did. That was your metaphysical catalyst is like, the sh- it's very simply a shifting mm. of the mind. And the mind isn't physical. It's metaphysical. So when you shift that mind and you're like, I'm going to be there for my daughter. And not only am I going to be there, I'm going to be fit. I'm going to be woke. I'm going to be conscious. That's metaphysical. Fascinating. And by talking to somebody, mm-hmm. can you tell, are you able to discern their level of metaphysicality? <laughs> I mean, you can sense people's level of consciousness, especially um, in times of when they're angry, in times of in times of challenge. And that's why you always they all the the great sayings, you know, the, the measure of a man is in times of challenge. You know, that's when you can see someone's level of consciousness. It's fascinating, you know. Uh, my my sister passed away in a, in a, in a car accident I, about 15 years ago, and my father called me and told me, and then we were at the funeral, and uh, you know, I'm about to give a eulogy for my sister's passing, and, and, and somebody comes up to me and says, you know, do you realize what people are saying about, about Rose's passing, you know, at the car? And, and I said, how dare you approach me with this? My mm. grieving parents mm. are right there. And, you know, I had a, mm. a, a, a watermark, you know, and I said, I will, there's about four or five people in my life who I care what I, what they think of me, everybody else. I can't, I have to let that go. I cannot control that. So, and I, mm. and I made that dramatic shift then. And I, I believe I still hold to that. I wonder if that was a metaphysical moment. Absolutely. We all have these catalyst, what I call, um, moments of calling when we're being called. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting enough that I, I just thought about call of hmm. duty. I just feel like that's our true call of duty. When you hit these moments and you decide not to punch hmm. him in the face and you say, instead, I choose love. That is a calling. And that takes you to another level in consciousness because all consciousness is, is expressing compassion in moments of adversity because that's all god love that's all god is that's all source is is love and compassion love and compassion and um and sometimes it can come in the form of discipline like i said it depends he could have i mean he could have just been his right to punch him in the face but then it would have had that impact on your parents and everybody else so it wasn't the right thing to do in that moment however it was your that moment for you to step on it and let him know this is inappropriate. Please find your seat, you know? And so these are moments I believe that take us to different levels of consciousness, consciousness, especially when you remember it, especially if it has an energetic time and you feel it in your body, like something like that. When you said that, I kind of felt it in my, in my gut a little bit, like in my, my heart, 
because I've, you know, I've lost my sister, I've lost my dad, and I've experienced all kinds of hurtful things, especially dealing with my mom's illness and trying to get her in a safe space, dealing with criticism from family who never once lifted a finger to support me in her care, have all the criticism and judgment. So I understand 100% you know, what that feels like, and it's nasty. It is. It's a shift. Mm-hmm. So- I wonder now what you're suggesting perhaps is that we're all metaphysical. We just don't know it. Yeah, because we're all mind and the mind is the all. All all God is, all source is, is consciousness. And if we call ourselves conscious beings, then that means we're metaphysical beings because we're mindful beings. We're mind beings. This is literally what I call a spacesuit. I call it my avatar, my spacesuit. I'm just here. This is what I need to exist on this plane on, on earth. Yet when this body goes, I still exist. And um, and essentially that's the metaphysical aspect of it is that we still exist even beyond this body. That's fascinating. Aaron Patton, what a what a pleasure talking with you. I I I, I enjoy this so much, and I I hope the listeners do as well. Uh, yes. it, it just seems to be metaphysical, just an aspect of everyday life and everything that we do. Everyday life, everyday life, every conscious choice we make is metaphysics. However, so many of us make choices unconsciously. Mm-hmm. We have been programmed like you, like you, I mean, even, even you said you watched the Cosby show and I feel like one of the daughters in the Cosby show is Olivia. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you said that. So we unconsciously make choices and behave based on our programming. However, the more we are become aware of self, the more we decide to behave differently or not engage certain energies, that is our raising of our consciousness. And essentially the unplugging from the matrix, you know, everyone talks about the matrix and the matrix is just being an individual. Unplugging from the matrix is just being your own individual, not being a drone, not, you know, being like everyone else, not thinking like everyone else. That's when you're plugged into the matrix. And, um, and yeah, so that's why I love this work so much is because I live and breathe it every day. It must be rewarding too to see people kind of liberate, kind of get off the grid a little bit sometimes, which is what you're suggesting with the matrix, right? And just smell the yes. roses. Yes, literally. Yeah, it's very, very important. Yeah. And uh, some of that mentality of, you know, Southern Europe has certainly has a lot of that, you know, where, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, literally. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they do that very, very well. And, uh, I look for, I hope we can go back there soon where all this kind of stuff clears up. And uh, so, so great talking with you. So how can people get in touch with you? Yes. So I would love for people to follow up with me. I'm on Instagram at I am Aaron Patton. I have a website really simply AaronPatton.com. And if you want to talk to me directly, you can go ahead and email me really simply at Aaron at AaronPatton.com. And that's Aaron, E-R-I-N, and Patton with two Ts, P-A-T-T-E-N. Correct. And what a great, great pleasure talking with you today. I, I learned a lot. I'm more metaphysical than I thought. Uh, but there's plenty of room for growth uh, for everyone, I think. And uh, it was a wonderful conversation. I, I, I will look at things differently. Uh, that's for sure. 
Yes, I hope so. And that's all we're invited to do on this path. Thanks so much, Erin. I look forward to, you know, if I'm in Houston, certainly uh, a lot of great restaurants there. I love Houston. Uh, a lot of great food, a lot of small areas, and uh, I will certainly reach out. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. <laughs> look forward to Have it. a great day, Erin. I really appreciate it. All right. Peace. peace. Be Thank well you. you so Bye much. Now. Be well. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Disciplined Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. It's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching Joey Penn's Discipline Conversations.